This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. It is an absolute pleasure. Welcome to the War Room. Jim, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm looking yeah. forward to the, to the conversation. Yeah, so are we, man. We've already been having a lot of fun just before we even got started. <laughs> um, it's it's really fun to speak with writers. Uh, for me, there's a lot of work that goes be, beyond uh, behind the scenes that before it ever hits the forefront, right? Uh, that's what it means to be a writer. There's a lot of, it's like an iceberg. You only see the top of it, but you don't see everything that took place. And so a lot like that with deep roots, I think our traditional question really speaks to that. And we always open the show with asking, do you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs or business owners? No, not at all. Not at all. I come from a pe- family of Polish-American peasants. Wow. Yeah. All from the old country. And did you did you grow up? Do you feel like any of the way that you grew up had an influence on you wanting to become a writer or things of that nature? Not to become. I write about that. I have a trilogy called Leaving the Leaving Home Trilogy. You have to leave home. I don't mean just move from one house to another. I mean, you have to leave behind all of the emotional atmosphere of that first house. They, where that We as children take all that in unconsciously. We don't process, we don't analyze, we just take it as, as real. That has to be left behind if you ever want to have your own life. Otherwise, you belong to that. Oh, wow. Okay. Right off there's the some bat. Pers- there's some perspective for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm not surprised here in my notes. I have it that you have a PhD in philosophy and psychology. And now that yeah. you do executive coaching. So, uh, you know, statements like that are probably just a regular Thursday for you. Regular Friday. Right. <laughs> and uh, that, there's the value. We can wrap it up. <laughs> Um, yeah, man, I, I, to your point, I remember when I left Los Angeles, which is where I was born to even just to move to New York, it definitely made me think differently about the way I carried myself. I moved back and I can feel myself slipping back into whatever Los Angeles is. So what you're saying is very true. When I was in my middle to late thirties, I lived in, in LA. I went back to Detroit, which is where I was born and raised. I got on the plane in at LAX. By the time I got to Denver, I was in my middle 20s. By the time I got to Chicago, I was in my middle teens. By the time I walked through the door, I was 10. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. Because to your parents, you will always be their little one, no matter how old you are. Well, there's, a, there's another side to that. To me, uh, they were always my parents. I was always the little one. I was always looking up. That's all something you have to leave behind if you want to have your own life. Man, <laughs> there's some powerful stuff coming out. Okay. So then we we established that. 
at what point did you make the decision to have your own life and be that writer? Oh, well, have my own life. To be the writer, I was 75. I am not 80. 75. My wife and I, my wife, who I adore, and, and she said, why don't you write about your youth? I had I I, I I don't know what to say about that. I, I look, but looking through some of my papers, I have begun a story about my childhood that began with my uncle Al saying, "Shot in the beer, shot in the beer, coming through the back door of the house." That was standard. Seagrant Seven Crown and and Paps. I think it was Paps beer. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, and then it just I just started writing. The thing I learned mostly about writing, writing is this is going to seem, seem obvious. Writing is in the doing. You have to write to write. But I wasn't sure of. I knew I could write a good sentence. I knew that I could write a good paragraph. But could I tell a story over two hundred pages? That I have no idea about. That's what I learned by writing. I just got into it. And my first book is called The Worship of Hollow Gods, which is what describes the family and the environment where I came from. The hollow gods were alcohol, family, and church. Those all, those all purported to provide something. They did not. Yet they were worshipped like they did. They didn't. I had to get the hell out of there. I, I, I left Detroit. I went to New York. I mean, LA to New York is a big deal, but it's nothing like coming from Poland to New York. Yeah. <laughs> Not only Poland, 12th century Poland. Yeah. I mean, that is heavy stuff, man. And wow, what you're talking to, I mean, it, it sounds like, I mean, without without all the uh, the bad habits, it's very reminiscent of the uh, exhibition that, Bukowski had in his voice where it's like it except yeah. yours is on an intellectual capacity as opposed right. to just visceral living. Uh, I think the work that you're doing is is important to be able to speak to that because many people, in particular people who come from families, uh, family businesses, right? They sort of get uh, brought into that. And some kids rebel and they don't, they want nothing to do with carrying on that legacy. Others give into it because, uh, you know, that's what my parents want me to do. That's what I got to do, right? And so what you're speaking to is something that maybe some people have lived their whole lives and never never left home. Exactly. Never even became aware enough to leave home. Never were bothered enough by it. The thing about therapy, which I have done tons of, the thing about therapy, it comes online when things aren't working. You need to figure out why things aren't working. That's why it's so important to, to go back to your past and find out what was happening then and it, how much of it's still happening now. When you do that, when you find that out, you see just how much you're living still in your childhood. It doesn't matter how old you are, you're still living, living back there. It's all unconscious. It's totally unconscious. Not even aware of doing it, just seems so habitual, seems normal. Why wouldn't I do this? Well, what, the reason why is because you are trapped in it. I mean, let me tell you something right now. I'm going to look into your work specifically because just for me as an aside, 
Uh, I love reading things like uh, work by Eric Byrne, you know, does transactional mm-hmm. analysis or at Leary mm-hmm. psychology. And so like listening to the things that you're saying, uh, at what point do you feel like you found this awareness? Was it in your studies for your PhD and things of that nature that you no, came to this no, conclusion? long before that. When I was, well, my initial, my initial career, I was a professional actor, stage actor. And I was what is known as a method actor. There are method actors and technique actors. Method technique actors do it by the way they use their voice, the way they use their face. Method actors get into the character and come from that character base. And that forces you to understand about yourself and forces you to understand about the character. How am I get the, how, how am I going to get this across? Well, when when it's done well, if there is no how am I, it's automatic. You are it. You don't need to pretend to be it. In theater school, there is the phrase called indicate, which is like you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I studied acting for many years and just uh, decided not to do it. It's in the day and age, the and the way the industry itself, not the craft, yeah, but yeah, the industry right. itself. I just couldn't be bothered with it. But indicating is like <laughs> whenever you watch someone in a scene and it's supposed to be cold outside and they go, oh, how cold is it? You know, we don't do this to tell people it's cold. We do this to try to get warm. And yet you'll see terrible actors who will lean in and say their line and then give space to the other actors if that's what we do in real life. It's a really fascinating craft to study. And it's interesting that you've studied that and psychology, your your interest and leaning towards the human capacity, the human existence, the human psychology. It's all invaluable for people who haven't spent the time. We we work as executive coaches in the tech industry in California. And you would be surprised how many CEOs, COOs, CPOs do not really have good sense of their own self that gets in their way for decision-making. And we love to be able to get into that with them and help them open themselves to themselves, which they've never considered before. Like, for example, my wife and I will say something to a client like, how do you feel about you? And that question causes them, they're like deer in the hell. Head. Like, what the hell are you talking? I don't deal with that. I deal with all this external stuff. But if you don't deal with that, you have no foundation from which to come. Just like in method acting. Then you end up indicate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I attribute 99.9% of my ability to communicate from the classes I took as an as an actor and what I studied. Uh, it's a it's a verified fact if you find a good course. I believe that every adult should take an acting class because it's a very safe place to do a dangerous thing, mm-hmm. which is explore the facets of who you are. So I really mm-hmm. love that we're talking about this. Before I go any further, I want to check in with Jason and see what he's thinking about all this. <laughs> I'm just having fun listening to this one. <laughs> That's it, for sure. It, it really a, yeah, well, it's a it's an interesting conversation because you know, I mean, I look at you you take like uh I always like to look at the like the World War II veteran that left home and went off to war and all those things and 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 then came back home and then started a life and did all these things and you know it do we ever really leave that place, right? And 
it's it's just it's a very interesting conversation because now I think about the things in my day when I talk about my dad or when I talk about on this podcast being a kid and shoveling grain in the feeders and stuff like that. And you just feel like you're you are right there, right? Again, right? And you know, I don't, you know Jason. I don't, we never really leave it behind without a lot of determined work, focused, diligent work. And that work, it's not easy. It, you have to drag, drag up a lot of crap to get to the other side. Yeah. It's well worth to do. Yeah, for sure. It's, oh, no. a, it's a powerful conversation to be having, I think, especially hey, right now. Why do especially you call right this now. real war room? Business is war and uh, okay. uh, business is war. And I spent 23 years in the military. And uh-huh. so uh, there, there's the connection. <laughs> which, which service? Army. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I would have gone into the Air Force if I had to do it. You you would have been the smarter one of the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> they said I wasn't smart enough. Go join the Army. <laughs> And I found out later that wasn't true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) And that story gets deeper, but maybe another time. (laughs) Oh, wow. No, all of this is fascinating. It's, It's really interesting to, you know, a lot of people have sort of, uh, the majority of people have a path that sort of unfolded pretty straightforward. Even if it was happenstance and things happened, they kind of saw where they were going early on in their lives. Right. And some people, the converse of that is that like a lot of other people have had multiple lives in one life before ever arriving. Right. You, you yourself. I mean, part of the reason I, I mentioned Bukowski is he didn't even become a famous writer till he was 75 or so. And I remember his speech was, where were all of you when I needed you? Because now he, exactly. he, he, didn't, he didn't care anymore about being famous because he, you know, he spent his life as a drunk out of the poor misery. Right, right. On, the, of, on the curbstone. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so for me, when I hear that, like you're like, I just started, you know, like five years ago getting into this. And I think to myself, it's never really over, is it? Never, never, never. And it never <laughs> stops either. You know, people who read don't, don't embrace life think that well the problem would stop they don't they keep every year is just another set of problems life is just another set of problems and those problems when they're embraced are fun to solve that's what when i was young i used to be enraged about the fact that life was such a mystery we didn't know this we didn't know that yet we are so equipped with sensitivity to recognize there is a mystery. I want to know what, what the mystery was about. I wasn't getting, I was so enraged till I finally just accept and love the mystery of it. That's the fun of it. Being equipped with the sensitivity to recognize the mystery of life. That's right. profound. That's profound. Einstein said, I think, I think I'm going to quote him accurately. The miracle of life is it the, it's the mystery that it exists at all at all. That's pretty miraculous. 
Yeah, that's true. Uh, there's a good chance this was an entire accident that we were all here to begin with. And yet here we are <laughs> exactly. having, a conver- <laughs> having a conversation, waxing poetic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an old dumb army grunt. It's going over my head. <laughs> See, you were going to be in the Air Force. So you could have been. That's right. Anyway. I complied with it. <laughs> you know, w- one of the things that's always scared me, I'll, I'll be honest here, when I was, uh, especially I want to say maybe even 10 years ago, I'm 33 now. Uh, I don't know if you can think back to a time when you were 33. Oh yeah. I'm 33 now and um, I don't have any children yet, but it's, it's definitely crossing my mind. I'm like, where am I in life? What am I doing? Am I in the right place? You know, all these, does that ever go away? I mean, looking no. back where you are now, never. No, I, I now I'm more aligned with Jason in the sense that what it is for me now is how do I market my books? How do I get my books out to the big audience? It's just, just another problem. My <laughs> wife and I work together as writers. I'm the writer of the fiction books. She is the editor. She is merciless. Merciless! <laughs> <laughs> Why do I not doubt that for some reason? <laughs> she came up, she read a great line on the internet. Write freely and edit mercilessly. Yes. That's for real. Yeah. My my dad always told me, boy, free your mind, your ass will follow. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best piece of advice my dad had for me. <laughs> oh man. You know, when I was 16. I would I want to have a date with Mary Lou Kraska from across the street. We were going on a hayride. The only piece of sexual social advice my father gave me, it wasn't advice, it was a warning. He said, don't bring me home no bundle. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. What do you mean? I was this Polish inner city peasant. You want bundle? You mean a bundle like you hold your heart? What are you talking about? <laughs> I learned later what he was, of course, of course talking about. That, that was the extent of the Polish peasant life advice. <laughs> Don't bring home a bundle. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> It's oh it's truly God. fascinating, you know. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk has uh, said something on the yeah. uh, on his show. Uh, Mind guy. Yeah, yeah. He said something about all you ever have to do for all the young people. He was like, all you ever have to do is go anywhere to speak with anyone who's a lot older than you and take a look at their eyes and ask them, like, do you have any regrets? You know, and that'll do everything you need for motivation and what have you. And, you know, I'm asking you all these questions about, like, does it ever change? And you're like, no, it's just a whole new set of problems. That's right. That is just life in a nutshell. You either got problems you want or problems you don't want. (laughs) And the biggest problem is not to accept that there's life. It's a series of problems. Then you're mortally frustrated and enraged like I was when I was in my teens. I was flaming enraged. (laughs) Yeah. No, I um, I I can vouch for that. That is definitely a, a habit of mine to become upset at many things that I have no control over. And there's exactly. no point. There's no point in being upset. But you know, you try. You try to think that you're more than human. <laughs> That's why they created guns. 
to remind everybody how human they are. <laughs> oh, man. When I get that way, I just step off my back porch and squeeze off about a hundred drowned. <laughs> oh, man. Makes me feel good, right? <laughs> you must be army. Yeah. Get that, get that little shot of dopamine going, make you feel better. <laughs> so, so Jeb, if, if you could go back to a time, uh, if you could step in through a portal and uh, reach out with a with a napkin and a quick word of advice to your younger self who was maybe pursuing the arts at that time and inflamed and enraged by the lot in life that we all have uh, and our mortality. Uh, what would you say to yourself if you had a quick window of time that you could share some kind of wisdom? You have you? to understand the context for what, for what I'm about to say, which is I was raised as a Polish peasant lower-class Catholic, Catholic that was 12th century Catholic, way before the Middle Ages, real brutal Catholicism. What I would have said then is atheism is not so bad. It's not so bad. You don't have to die to live. You don't have to die to yourself to live. You have to live in whatever you can manage yourself to be. Please do that. Please trust yourself. The impulses are there. The, the intuitions are there. At least explore them, if not follow them. Man, I can just feel it. I can feel what you're saying, man. There is more to that. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what a day it's been. Uh, with that said, I want to take a quick break uh, to, sure. to, to just thank one of our supporters for helping even make this episode possible. And uh, that is Kelly Gordon of Cyberpreneur Inferno. Uh, she likes to address people who run into that burnout cycle. You know, they're running on a hamster wheel trying to get their business running. They can't get any revenue whatsoever. And somehow they have both less uh, and more stress, right? At the same time, they have they have less money to work with and more stress. The monthly income is about as predictable as uh, a wild horse drinking a, an energy drink. And yet, <laughs> and yet becoming a fully booked agency with dream clients and consistent income isn't really as far as people think it is if you work with the right people in Cyberpreneur Inferno. <laughs> gives you that personal attention to help you develop the processes and systems and mindset and accountability that you really need to make that happen. And you could be spending 10,000 hours trying to learn this the hard way, or you can contact Kelly Gordon and she can help you do that alongside a hundred other digital agency owners. And if you want more information for that, uh, specifically because you're listening to this show, you get a special 15% tuition discount for the War Room as a listener by typing in War Room 15, and you can foreseeably be able to double your agency's revenue in a hundred days if you're with it. So go ahead and visit get.cyberpreneurinferno.com forward slash 4x4 method. And you can take advantage of that. Uh, with that said, Jim, man, there is so much experience. And I think it's really profound to have a career that involves not only speaking with executives, right? You have your PhD, uh, you have your career in the arts, you've studied philosophy, psychology, all of this. To, it makes for a really well-rounded, it's the kind of education that the people like Da Vinci and, and other people really mm -hmm. aspired mm -hmm. to a really well-rounded education uh, renaissance, if you will, mm -hmm. in, in a sense, uh, 
as somebody who I also love to learn and I find it more increasingly more and more difficult to do that. And everybody wants to learn. Everybody wants to improve themselves. Uh, is there anything you can offer as somebody who has seen time, who has spent time, who has invested time, who has lost time? Is there anything you can offer to help us reprioritize? About prioritizing, I would suggest you really listen to your impulses. Your impulses are coming from deep inside. They are talking to you. They want to communicate with you. And they sense an impulse. Don't just follow them. Understand them first, because they can take you off the cliff. They're not always good. But impulse is really, really important. Do not, do not overthink it. Feel it. Let me, let me add this part. Feeling is much more important than thinking, much more important. You can think, think rational, rational, rationality is really good, but it's limited. It's when you get really into being reasonable, it can be unyielding. You hook into something, reason takes you, takes you to a place and refuses to leave it. Whereas feeling is fluid. Feeling will go here, will go there. If you have a sufficient sense of yourself, you can navigate those feelings as they move through life. They're far more profound and far more important than thinking. Thinking is too linear. Too linear, it, it precludes exploration. It can't. It doesn't have to, but it can. End, end of sermon. <laughs> Man. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. Jason would know this, right? There's an instinct. Uh, that's what keeps people alive, right? right. <laughs> and, and you've got to you've got to be able to pay attention to that. And you got to trust your guts. And right. uh, I'm I'm definitely a person that has a lot of feelings, a lot of thoughts, and then try to tell myself, well, the reasonable thing to do here is. And you're right. It is boxed as a way of thinking, and it is not fluid. And life is not boxed. Last time I checked, even the golden ratio, right? It continues to spiral in an imperfection ad infinitum. So you're right. Thank you for reminding me of that. The reason I, I love the books I've written is precisely for this. Life started in Detroit in the 50s, and it started in upper, lower class, inner city, Polish, Catholic, peasant family. Now, those are a lot of qualifiers. I had to get the hell out of there. It didn't really provide me with a solid, solid basis. I'll, I'll give you a story. Well, for example, my father, I write about the, in my first book, The Worship of Hollow Gods. My father was a poor kid. He found a bicycle frame. He didn't have the money to buy the bicycle. He found pieces. And he built his bicycle. The only thing he paid for was a little, little ringer on the handlebar. And he paid for that. The bike was called the Eddie. His name was Edward. He, he was called Eddie. His bike was Eddie. His father, who came from Poland, was pretty much a monster. And he one, one day, it's a long story. He one day got, took a sledgehammer to, to Eddie. He busted the thing all up. What that did to my father, you shut him down. He became hurt and angry. He spent his adult life like this, in, in an angry mood. Was did not do him well. I wish he had gone to therapy. 
But in 1950, Polish Catholic, that was unheard of. That meant you were crazy. Well, he was a bit touched. Anyway, anyway, what I'm saying is please, please follow your impulses like his building edit. Eddie, he turned out to be a reasonable engineer. And that was some evidence of his capacity. Not much, but some. It couldn't have pointed the direction to him if he hadn't run into his father. I, I, I love that. Just those words, the choice of words, the evidence of capacity. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's just poetic in a sense. And it really sums up what we've been talking about, you know, Um there's just so much to be said for what's going on. Uh, but before I, I, I head us over to the uh, the grand finale, I want to check in with Jason. I got to write that down. Yeah, the evidence of capacity. because it, it evidence of, of capacity. Because that's really there what we've go. been getting to. I mean, you've said a lot yeah. of profound things in this conversation. But uh, I, so before I get to the finale, I want to ask, where should people go to look at your books and look at your work and your writing? Amazon.com. My name is complicated. I will spell it out. It's S-N-I-E-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And go to Amazon.com, look on James Snikowski. The the, the trilogy, three books, Worship of Hollow God, second book, Ambition to Belong, and third third book, When Angels Die. It's it's my my whole youth story. Growing up, because no, no, man, I'm just like I'm just beside myself with uh, the way you've taken your life and turned it into profound insights. That's uh, that's mm-hmm. that's how you do life, <laughs> you know. Uh, if I may, Philip, if I may, the reason it's called the reason I say leave home and hollow gods, for example. The family in Detroit was so demanding that you be what they wanted you to be. I have had an uncle, Ed, who went to University of Michigan, which just down the road effectively from Detroit, became a chemical engineer, got a job in Ohio, an hour south of Detroit, had a, had a nervous, nervous breakdown, could not sustain himself away from the family, came back to Detroit. And it all just turned to crap. I had an Uncle John, who was the, the smartest of all the brothers. There were seven brothers. And he went during that depression. He hoboed across north, the northern tier of the United States, down California, into L.A., back to, back to Detroit. Had to come back, could not stay out of Detroit. It was like a magnetism pulling him back. It was all inside of him. That's another example. Please, when you clear your mind and get the hell out, you have no idea how strong those pulls are. And uh, the reason I call the hollow gods, they, what alcohol will substitute, it doesn't work. Church will substitute for many, it doesn't work. And family, well, the family is one of the biggest problems because it's a family that started all that. And you get stuck in there, it pulls you back. It's like homing pigeons. You have to fly back to where you belong. There is a lot of truth to this. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of truth, man. Hey, it's not about knowing the bullets are coming. It's knowing when to step to the left or right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, man. So, Jim, 
Uh, the, million, the million dollar question is, uh, if you could have invited anybody to this interview, to this conversation today, you had your pick of the litter any time or place in the world, who would you have loved to have had here today with us and why them? My wife, Judith Shur. She is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I am a strategist. She's a, she's a tactical person. She's a technician. She keeps me in line. She also is very, very profound. The reason I say that is she could provide so much to this conversation. She's seated right here. (laughs) (laughs) She could provide so much to this conversation and her own stuff. She came, she had, she had to fight her way out of her family, which was my family would nuts. Her family would certify (laughs) (laughs) you say that at the risk of her standing right next to you huh (laughs) no 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 she knows she would she would have said it if she were here her family (laughs) genuine crackers (laughs) man you you were just a good time man i I can't i yeah this was the call of the day radio i swear yeah man this was great this was a great conversation (laughs) <laughs> I'm very grateful we got a chance to talk, uh, to chat. I want to take a look at the work that you've put out, man. Um, I can tell a lot went into it. It's not uh, lip service. You 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 took great pains, especially just knowing you were a method actor. You took great pains to understand the meaning behind things. And if there's anything actors are good for, it's interpreting meaning mm-hmm. and, and being able to identify exactly what that sigh really meant, you know. And life is. Nothing but a series of smiles, laughs, and sighs, right? So it's and uh, cries and cries. And cries and it's cries. not forget cries. Well, I, I don't cry a lot, so you can tell I've got my own problems. <laughs> yeah. Be like my son when he falls down, he pops up and goes, I'm "Good." Dad. <laughs> it's like, boy, you can let it out. And he's like, "Oh." <laughs> gotta have that permission though right i, I wish that's my right. dad i wish my dad would have told me that that's yeah, definitely amazing. not definitely not what happened with me man that's why i'm very grateful to hear that you did that as a dad because it's true that's yeah. true we've uh, like again that creates what we call internal permission if you don't have internal permission you are screwed I am definitely screwed. <laughs> I, I hear I hereby declare myself permission to internally cry if I have to. <laughs> internally I don't think it, I, don't, I don't think it works that way, right? It's just like a mechanism now that's just stuck. That's um, right. It's man. called a habit. It's not people also think it's natural. It's not. It's habitual. Yeah. These are habits, not natural. The baseball bats work. <laughs> <laughs> I can only, come over there. Only good guys in the army. Yeah, I can come over there and beat it out of you with a baseball bat. <laughs> oh man, that'll make you cry. <laughs> it's been an absolute, absolute oh, pleasure, man. man. Did, you, did your father just slip into this call? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tend to be my father's son every now and then. It comes out. Same here, man. Same here. If I had a nickel for every time I was outraged for things that weren't really relevant, I'd be pretty wealthy right now, man. So I get it. I get it. 
it's uh, it's it's really funny to hear all the things that we've talked about and how they relate to things that we believe may not really be important, but they are all these little microaggressions and micro micro concessions that we make to the people mm-hmm. that we love and care about. They all magnify our, our experience at large. And if it wasn't for me reading the four agreements, which the agreements themselves weren't profound for me at all, but yeah. I remember there was, there was a sentence there that said, if you're the voice inside your head, who is the person listening? Mm-hmm. I read that at 14 and I was a really angry kid. So having read that, I don't know what it did, but it, it opened something in my head that allowed me to break the cycles that pretty much exists in the rest of my family. The minute I began to realize I don't have to be the very thing I'm thinking, this voice that's running, that's not me. That's a thing I can listen to, the impulse, the instinct, but it isn't necessarily something that is certified. I have to express that. I have to think that I have to accept that. No, it's something to observe and watch like the chaos Mm -hmm. of nature. It all hit me at once when I was 14 and I was saved for it. That's a big move at 14. Given who you are now, have you come across, you come a long way, baby. Hey man, there it is. <laughs> right on, man. Well, hey man, look, Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time here, but I'm, I want to stay in touch. I'm going to take a look at what you're doing, and uh, it's tradition that Jason rolls is out on the show, so I'll turn it over to him. Yeah, you know what? Half of our life, we just fill ourselves of our own bullshit. So um, <laughs> that's about what that that's about what that ends up being. So. Um, but no, thank you so much for being here. God, this was a really great way for us to end the podcast day. Um, we had a lot of fun. And on the, the serious note, though, some really great takeaways for people. If you didn't take anything away from that, you just go check yourself into a mental hospital or something. But Because the, there was a lot of good stuff in there. But yeah, man. thank you, Jim, for being here. It was awesome. You're very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about my books as well. As yeah. I said, the, the problem now, the problem in life now is marketing. That's I thank you for the opportunity to market. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we'll we'll put all the links in for all your books too. Thank you, man. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.